Well, hello, Watermark and friends that are jumping online with us. My name is Todd Wagner. A long time ago, I used to teach at a place called Watermark Community Church. And it is great to be back with you guys this morning. It has been a, a, a really amazing last couple of weeks for me. I have uh, had my second daughter get engaged. I have had my uh, first son, third child, get married. I have had my fourth child go off to college for the second time, my fifth child go off to college for the first time, and my sixth child go to high school for the first time. So I've been kind of busy, and it's been fun, it's been awesome, and uh, I am excited to be back here with you this morning, and I, I will tell you, when I took my fifth son to college, I um, took him up there last weekend, and then we stayed Saturday night, and then Sunday morning we got up and we went to uh, a church together, gathered a group of believers up in Stillwater. It was awesome. And as we walked in, it was actually raining, and I was jogging in. I was running into uh, the, the, the church, and there was a greeter that was kind of there, and uh, I was trying to get out of the rain, and he kind of goes, hey, hey, hey. And I, he goes, hi. And I, I, I said, hey. And I walked by, and he goes, hey. And he grabbed me. He goes, you're the 16 things you got to tell a kid before he's 16 guy. And I go, I go, uh, yeah. He goes, oh, good. He goes, yeah, you can go now. All right, let me go. And uh, I thought to myself, my gosh, I have given hundreds, I don't know, maybe thousands of messages over the last 30 years. And it was just so funny that that was the message that that guy had kind of um, locked onto or found about and, and really loved and enjoyed. And I, I've met folks from all over who have gone, hey, that message, man, has really been helpful to us. And I just thought, man, people love lists, don't they? They love lists. I thought about probably one of the greatest self-help books or business books that's ever been written had a list on it, right? So Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Covey. I thought about the book that's kind of taken the world by storm with Jordan Peterson right now, The 12 Rules of Life. And people love lists. Um, I, uh, I even looked at you know, Proverbs. I thought about Proverbs 30, Agur, who is um, a collector of Proverbs, Probably some that Solomon said, maybe some that were just also around at the time. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, Agur has one chapter that's kind of his. And he spends the whole chapter using lists. He says in Proverbs 30, verse 7, he says, two things I ask of you, God, before I die. Now, isn't that amazing? You're like, man, just two things. And don't you want to know, what are the two things that that wise guy is going to ask God for? Go look at it in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7. A little bit later, he says in verse 18, there are three things that are too wonderful for me. One of them is the way a guy hangs out with chicks. That's, that's one of them. He really, I'm not kidding. It was like a way of a man with a maid. Not chick, but it's, it's a maid. And he said, I just can't figure it out. This women guy thing is crazy. He says in verse 21, there's three things that make the earth quake. And says in verse 24, there's four things that are small on the earth, but are exceedingly wise. He says in verse 29, he says, there are three things which are stately in their march. And uh, stately and full of pride. The lion the rooster, a male goat, and a king with his army. And he just talks and makes comments about them. But lists are really interesting, aren't they? I, I, um, I got a deal from the Huff Post here. It says, here's 23 reasons why we love lists. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And I actually read it, and it's not just some throwaway list. They're actually right. Lists get right to the point. There's no fluffy preamble necessary. They simplify. They promise instant knowledge. They provide choices. They make it seem as if the list maker knows something the readers don't. People love lists. There's 23 reasons that guy observed. And I want to tell you something. I don't, when I teach, typically give lists. I'm just kind of like, you know, I mean, <laughs> grab what you want, you know. 
And I know when I give messages, where I give lists, people go, man, that was one of my favorite messages. Because you're a bunch of type A, ADD, left brain folks who just don't want to sit in the glory of all wisdom. Give me a list. I'm going to give you a list today. Are you ready? Because we're talking about a topic that is massive, and we're talking about a topic that is so misunderstood. We're talking about one of the seven. People have said to me, man, I love this series, and I think you like this series because you're like, there's seven things that I got to know. What are they? Right? And so we're talking about the seven essentials. We're not talking about the gospel. That is the only thing, the only foundation that you can build your life on. That is the only thing that really matters. When we talk about the gospel, we talk about the fact that you need to know this one thing. There's only, I'm going to give you a list. There's one sin and only one sin that affects your relationship with God. There's only one sin that God is bothered by. Everything else is a derivative. It's a secondary sin. But there's only one primary sin. The primary sin is that we don't think God is good. We don't think we need God. We think we can live apart from him. We think we're better off without God. And that primary sin puts us in a bad place. If God is life and light and love, you lead you leave life, you get death. You leave light, you get darkness. You leave love, you get the world today. You get hate, you get war, you get division, you get racism, you get oppression, you get misogyny. And God just says, I, I love you and I don't want you to live thinking that you can have life apart from me because life doesn't exist apart from me. And so the one thing that you've got to know is that and, and the one thing I deliver to you every week as a first importance is that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, to save people that thought they could have life apart from God and just to re reconcile you to God. And there's only one way for that to be reconciled is for an infinite, perfect, holy sacrifice to appease an infinite, perfect, holy God. It's God himself and the person of Jesus who died on the cross from you and was crucified, dead, and buried and raised on the third day so that God could declare with power, this is the one that can save you. If you don't get that right, it doesn't matter what else we talk about. But once you get that right, what we're doing in this series is telling you there's seven implications of that truth that you better circle and bold and embrace. And if you get these things wrong, you will not be a healthy, joyful, peace-filled, useful, fruitful follower of Christ. You'll miss out on the life that Jesus intends for you, that he saved you towards. And so what we're walking you through is essential things for people who have come to know God, who they must take that next step and understand now, what's the implications of me saying that Jesus is God and he is my Lord and God is good and all his ways are peace. First week we talked about the fact that, that you need to know that God has chosen in his infinite perfection and kindness to not just leave us here to try and figure it out. He has revealed to us what we otherwise could not know, that the infinite, perfect God worked through, infallible, worked through fallible, imperfect men to give us perfect truth. If God is God, he could do that, couldn't he? This book claims that's what he did. And God didn't just write down a bunch of ideas. He told you a story anchored in history that you could test it. Put it up against archaeology. It doesn't contradict science. It's not a science book which is a good thing, because science books change about every six months. But there's nothing in here that contradicts science. 
It's God's revelation to us. And you better know that the word of God is your authority, your conscience, and your guide. It is the very revelation of God, and you better treat it with holy reverence and drink deeply from it. Secondly, we talked about you better know who God is himself. God is um, one, and yet he has revealed himself in three persons. We talked last week about the Trinity. We didn't say last week that God is one person, yet three persons. That would be a contradiction. We said, no, God is one, but he has revealed himself in three equally divine, distinct, relating to each other in love and community and uh, mutual exaltation persons. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father, but the Spirit is God. The Son is God and the Father is God. And this week we're gonna start to talk about some members of the Godhead and we're gonna talk about the one that is the most confusing and the most essential for you and us, me today. We're gonna to talk about the Holy Spirit. The problem with the Holy Spirit, he's got a bad marketing campaign. A long time ago, the apostles of the day, those sent forth to talk about God and teach us about God, wrote a little creed. And in that creed, he was called the Holy Ghost. Now let me just tell you something. I don't care if you're Casper and you're a friendly ghost, you're still a ghost and you wig me out a little bit, all right? And so when we think about the Spirit of God and he's called the Holy Ghost, I'm like, I, I can't cuddle with a ghost. I don't sing a song, what a friend we have in the ghost. I, it doesn't go like that, right? We, 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 what a friend we have in Jesus. I like Jesus. I get along with Jesus. But I'm going to tell you today five things you need to know about the Holy Spirit. I could go everywhere, but I'm going to give you a list. You ready? Here we go. Five things. I'm going to tell you why there is so much confusion or disharmony surrounding the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you who is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you what does it mean to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you how you can know if something is of the Spirit of God. Off we go. Number one, why is there so much confusion surrounding the Holy Spirit? Part of it is, is because the role of the Spirit today is so significant. If I told you there was, I'm going to say it this way to start, something, I'm going to tell you what that something is. It's not a something, it's a someone. But, but if there was something that the role of it was to accomplish the purposes of a loving father by exalting the only way that men could be reconciled to God and, and to create in them a new life and to sanctify them into all the fullness of life that God intended and to unify that group that was sanctified together and you were the enemy of that God, wouldn't you want to confuse people about that thing? I know I would. And boy, is there anybody that the church is more confused about more than the Holy Spirit. It just makes people uncomfortable. You know, I don't know uh, what you think of when you think of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of different ideas out there. Is he an impersonal force? Is it kind of like Obi-Wan, you know? who's out there whispering to Luke, you know, use the force, Luke. Is it like Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense? That he's there but only can be seen by certain people? All right, spoiler alert, but shame on you if you haven't seen it. The movie's 20 years old, all right? <laughs> is, he the, is he the reason that, that certain people do crazy things on TV and in certain kind of worship services? All of those things are out there 
okay, that, that people have kind of suggested. And so much about what the Holy Spirit does is so misrepresented. If I was the enemy of God, and I didn't want you to have an intimate relationship with him, what I would tell you is the greatest evidence that you had an intimate relationship with him is that you disengaged your mind and you spoke in babble that did not edify your heart or really, frankly, wasn't helpful to anybody around you. I would invent something called a prayer language that was no language at all but a bunch of just syllables thrown together that made you feel like you were doing something spiritual. There's a reason that there is so much abuse with the Holy Spirit because the enemy hates you. And he doesn't want you to understand the, the saving power of God, the sanctifying work of God, the enabling presence of God, the unifying love of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I can tell you where this confusion comes from, and it's not God. That's why this book is so important. It's why I started with God's word. We don't need to speculate on who God is. We, we can just listen to God say, this is who I am, and, and test me. Every word of God is tested. And he reproves those who add to it and take from it. 1 Corinthians 14 says, though, hey, as you go out there and as you are, are trying to process what truth is. Now, remember, when the Corinthians were written to, when the church that gathered in a town called Corinth gathered, the, the Bible had not yet been assimilated completely. The Bible already existed. The books that we have in our Bible were already there, but there were other people that said, hey, I'm an apostle. I'm sent forth from God. I'm going to tell you what you need to know about God. Some of them were trying to drag people back into a works-based system. Some of them were called Gnostics. They were people that said, Jesus is fine, but you need Jesus plus something. There were Gospels of Thomas, Gospels of Philip. There were um, apocryphal books. That's actually the real truth real quick this week. What is the apocrypha? And so all the books were around, just what hadn't, hadn't happened yet is the, is the church hadn't gotten together and said, hey, this, these are the books that we all believe are inspired by God and given to us by God, and they talk about biblical things, and they don't contradict one another, and they all are from an eyewitness of the work of God or from a, if you will, a, a scribe or a personal associate with one of those eyewitnesses. So that's how you got your New Testament. Our Bible had been around for a long time in the Old Testament, and the Jews had said, these are kind of the books. By the way, the apocryphal books that were written really during the 400 years of silence before Jesus came were around. The Jews knew about them. They, 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 they said, hey, there's some good history in there. There's some things that are kind of um, uh, true, but there's other things in there that we don't embrace as Holy Scripture. Watch the real truth real quick. But you need to look at this book because this is what it says. It says, when, when someone's speaking to you, when the Corinthians had others that came into their town that said, thus says the Lord, it says, hey, listen, when prophets speak in your midst, let other people pass judgment on what they say. This is important. So if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. In other words, as somebody's telling you and saying things about what, what God wants you to know, if he's bringing forth truth, from the, from the scriptures or from the prophets or, 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 or as God's working, he says, you gotta keep silent when one's talking because if you all prophesy at the same time, it's gonna be chaos. But let one prophesy so that all may learn and be exhorted. Now watch what he says here in verse 32. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to prophets. What's that mean? 
It means that scripture is subject to itself. It means when somebody comes to you and says, I am speaking by the enabling of God, that's what prophets do. They, they either tell you what God's going to do, or more often today, probably, they, they tell you what God has said. Forth-telling. They speak prophetically. I hope I do that well. I am bringing forth truth from you from God as I pray, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I am a servant of Christ and a steward of the mystery of God. I'm not making stuff up. I'm not telling you what I think. I am a teacher of the word of God and I'm useful to you only in the way that I rightly bring forth that which has already been revealed as God's word. This is what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. It says that no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved, carried along, spoke from God. That's what I pray that I am every week, carried along by God to share with you what God wants you to know about him. Now watch, he's saying to the Corinthian people who don't have their, um, the church gathered agreeing these are the books that are from the Lord yet. He said, when they come to you and say, this is what the Lord wants you to know, he says, make sure you subject that to what you have already heard God say. It should never contradict it. For why? Because God is not the God of confusion, but of peace. So where's the confusion coming from about the Holy Spirit? Answer, not God. It's coming from men who don't subject themselves to the word of God. It's coming from men who take the things that are in the scripture, some of which Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, are difficult to understand, and in their instability, and in their lack of careful study of scripture, are teaching things that aren't so, to their own and others' destruction. That's why there's so much confusion. It's why you gotta pay attention to these next four things. So here's the second question. Who is the Holy Spirit? You gotta listen carefully when I say this, because the Holy Spirit is not a gift from God. The Holy Spirit is the gift of the presence of God today. Now let me say that to you again. Here it is. The Holy Spirit is the gift of the presence of God, not a gift from God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's not a force, he is a he. That's the way he's revealed in scripture, okay? He is the gift of the presence of God that is in your life that makes you healthy and joyful and equipped and useful and peace-filled, fruitful in your service for God. He is the means through which God is actively present and working in the world. He is the helper, comforter, sustainer, protector, and sanctifying power for you and for me. If I told you that... Uh, I had a special guest for you this morning, and I want you to hear from him, and, uh, and I want you, if you believe that he's an excellent pastor, communicator, you can have him as your pastor, and I introduce to you the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. And he came out here today, and he spoke, and you go, hey, I, we like Todd. Once every 20 years, he uses lists, then we can follow him, and uh, it's awesome, but Jesus that was pretty good. And man, I just watched the way he loved people afterwards. It was like he was a true shepherd. I just felt like the spirit of God was on Jesus. I felt like Jesus would be a great pastor of our church. And I stood up for you afterwards and I said, hey, you guys want Jesus as your pastor? Jesus would say to you, hey, wait, before you vote on that, and by the way, you should vote yes, okay? Um, 
But Jesus said to you, hey, I got a deal for you. I'll tell you what, rather than have me as pastor, you can either have me as pastor, I could give you the person of the Spirit. What would this church choose? Jesus could be the pastor of Watermark Community Church, or the Holy Spirit could be present at Watermark Community Church. Well, let me tell you what you should choose, right? John chapter 14, Jesus is having a similar conversation with his disciples. And he says, listen, I will ask, this is John 14, verse 16, he says, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper. I've been a help to you. I've told you what is true. I've rebuked what is wrong. I've, I've shown you that I have the ability uh, and the power to reverse the effects of the fall. And I'm gonna go and I'm gonna pay for the debt of your sin. That's what he's telling them in John 13, 14, 15, and 16. And he tells them, I'm going to go away. And they're like, you don't go away. You're our helper. He says, but watch, I'm going to go and give you another helper that he may be with you forever. And he is the spirit of truth. That's a much better name than Holy Ghost. The spirit of truth, which is one of the names of the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Now, wait a minute. How was the spirit of God already abiding with them? Answer. He was abiding with them in the person of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus was fully God. Jesus never stopped being God. He was always God, even when he was here on earth. But we know what Jesus did in order to identify as man so that he could um, be a appropriate substitute for us in judgment As he was fully God, he not just only clothed the glory of his eternal um, deity in the flesh, he chose not to appropriate his deity for his own benefit when he was here. You and I can't turn stones into bread. You and I can't just wiggle our nose like bewitched, all right, 60s reference, and, um, and change things. We have to pray that God would do something. And Jesus said, I'm going to do the same thing. And that's why Jesus said, I'm going to be subject to the Father. I don't do anything that the Father doesn't want me to do because as the incarnate Son of God, the Father is greater than I am. We already know that the Father is not greater than the Son, but in the incarnation, when the Son came and walked as you and I walked and was tempted as you and I were tempted, he said, the Father is greater than I am. And he said, these things that I do that are amazing, walking on water, feeding the multitude, raising people from the dead, that's not me, Jesus the man, that is is God the Spirit that is doing these things. I can't do these things apart from the Spirit. And so he's with the disciples and he's saying, hey, the Spirit's already abiding with you in the person of me as I yield myself to him. And what he's going to say to them is, I'm about to take off and I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Because once you get a taste of God being present, it's not fun to hear that God's checking out. And so what he says is, I'm going to stay with you, but it's not going to be in the corporal, physical manifestation that the Son was in whom all the deity dwelled in bodily form. He's gone. And I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Now listen, this is a great promise because even Moses, when Moses was around, okay, and, um, and he was just a Bedouin, he's just wandering around the desert shepherding sheep. God appears to Moses and he says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people and I've given heed to their cry for I'm aware of their sufferings. Man, how comforting is that? That God sees the cries and the sufferings of his people. And he says to Moses, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may, um, may bring the sons 
of Israel out of Egypt and out of bondage. Now Moses is like, okay, that's great, but how am I going to do that? In verse 10, he says, in effect, uh, or verse 7 actually, he says, well, wait a minute, how is this going to all happen? How am I going to go through this? In verse 12 of Exodus 3, this is what God says. I will be with you. Moses says, how am I going to do this? God just says, I will be with you. And Moses is like, man, I, I don't know. What do you mean you're going to be with me? How are you going to be with me? He just said, I'm going to be with you. That's the promise. A little bit later in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, he says this to Joshua. He said, just as it was Moses, I'm going to be with you. Now, if there's two guys in the Old Testament that shook it up and did some amazing things for people, it was Moses and Joshua. So if you're Joshua and you hear that you're going to, be, you're going to have what Moses had, you're like all about that. What's so interesting is Moses, he was uncomfortable with this Holy Spirit idea as well. What do you mean you're going to be with me? I need more, right? And, he, and God said, no, Moses, all you need is me. God plus one is a majority. All right? If I am for you, it doesn't matter who's against you, even the greatest power in the history of the world at the time. You just go. And Moses, like you, I don't I want more. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. And so God just looked around. He goes, here, take this stick. And he gave it to him, right? It's like a baby, like, mommy, mommy, mommy. Just like stick the pacifier in his mouth, you know, just suck him and shut him up. That stick had no power. It was a pacifier for Moses. It wasn't a magic stick, but it sure made Moses feel a little bit better, right? And we like to hold on to things. Well, Jesus lets you hold on to him and seeking him through the Holy Spirit. And here's what Jesus is saying, Joshua, Moses, church, I will be with you. And me plus you is a majority. If I'm for you, who cares who's against you? Even the prince of the power of the air. I'm greater than he is. You and me can do this thing. We can change the world. We can help you live in a holy way in a wicked and perverse world where your flesh is still wicked and perverse. You got everything you need for godliness. Verse uh, five of John 16, Jesus is continuing this little message because the disciples' heads are spinning. What do you mean you're leaving? What do you mean you're leaving? He says, but now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asked me, where are you going? Because you're just shell-shocked that I told you I was leaving. Verse six, but because I've said these things to you, sorrows filled your heart, which it would, right? If Jesus was here, he said, I'm taking off. I'm not gonna be your pastor anymore. But I tell you the truth, this is Jesus to us. It's to your advantage that I go away. Now, in this sense, he's saying, it's to your advantage that I go away to a cross where I'll bear the sins of the world. Because God's gonna make me who was rich to become poor so that in my poverty, you might become rich. God's gonna make me who knew no sin to become sin on your behalf that you might become the righteousness of God in him. And so he's specifically talking about the fact that he's going to go to a cross. But then he says, um, and that's why he said, if I don't go away, if I don't, if I don't reconcile you to God, then you can't have a relationship with God. And I'm going to make the relationship with God possible. And when you have a relationship with God, the presence of God in your life is going to be the helper. Who's the helper? That's another good name for the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is God. He is a comforter, sustainer, provider, protector, truth helper. And he says, when I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, he'll do these three things. He'll convict the world of, of, of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's why I don't try and convert people. That's why I don't try and, 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 and um, convince people of something. I try and share the truth of God. And the spirit of God is going to be the one that penetrates your heart the way he penetrated mine and allows you to see sin allows you to see what true righteousness is and allows you to understand judgment so that you 
hit your knees and cry out for mercy. And then through the provision of God, you're comforted that that provision has been provided. So I'm not trying to emotionally manipulate you. I'm not trying to work up a sense that you'll come forward and convince you that you should agree with me. I just want to be a person that shares with you the truth of God. And the Spirit will do the work in your life that he needs to do and wants to do. What you should do right now is go, Lord, don't let me miss your truth if I'm hearing it now. Lord, help me be discerning that the truth I'm hearing is from your word. This is one of the things that really frustrates me. It frustrates me when people go, well, there's, there's a real movement of God over there. God's at work in that church. Why? Well, because they, they, they are actively uh, using the gifts of the Spirit. I go, really? What are they doing? Well, they, they have this thing where they, where they pray. They don't really know what it means, and no one else knows what it means, but they think it makes them spiritual. Okay. Or, or they have people that speak. You know, they're, they're prophets, and they're telling you things that, that, that we don't really get here. Let me just tell you something. It should concern you if you get excited to hear from God when somebody closes their Bible. That should concern you if you get more excited to hear when somebody says, we're going to now move to a prophetic ministry. And you're like, oh, good, pay attention here because we're about to get something. That's Gnosticism. That Jesus is good, the word is good, but there's more. Listen, I believe if God wants to, he can do whatever he wants to today. He can still speak. He He can allow me to speak in a tongue that I don't have that is a known language to other people. I believe that God can do that. I believe that if God wants to, he can heal you of any disease. I pray that he would. But when I pray, I pray consistent with the word. Jesus says to his disciples, when you pray, pray this way. This is not a model prayer. It's not a magic prayer. But when you pray, pray this way. To your father you have in a relationship with who's in heaven, who's holy. You're not holy, so acknowledge the fact that he is not like you. And then apart from the grace of Christ, you could never know him. Oh, our father who art in heaven, whose name is holy. And then he says this, when you pray, pray this way. Not my will, but your will be done. Which means, I believe all the time, I pray for my friends that are sick, that God would heal them. And I don't mind telling God, God, if I was you, I think I'd heal everybody of cancer. God, if I was you, I don't think anybody would get a broken arm that would stick out of their flesh. God, if I was you, I'd never have a baby that wouldn't make it to term. But I know you're God, and I'm not. And I know you're good. I know you're infinite in your wisdom, and I'm not. I know you're working out your kingdom program on this earth that I don't really fully understand yet. I just know you don't make mistakes. And so I trust you. I'm gonna pray that God does even maybe a greater miracle, that you live in a world ravaged by sin, but you do it by such sustaining power of God in your life that you have hope even in the midst of hopelessness, that you have joy even in the midst of bad circumstances by the enabling of God, that you still praise him and sing him even though you can't sing to him, even though you can't really see how it's gonna fall out yet and break down yet. And people go, who are you people? What do you know that I don't know? Answer, God's not done yet in revealing himself. And the reason he lets his people hear and they get cancer and they lose children and they're betrayed by spouses is because they live in a world still ravaged by sin, but they themselves have been delivered by sin. Though they're still in a body of death in a world defined by death, they know me and so they sing of my loving kindness and justice. And they praise my name forever because they know something you don't know because they've been convicted by the spirit of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And they are holy people who live among you. And you ought to know what they know. Jesus says in John 16, verse 12, I have many things to say to you, but I can't, you can't bear them all now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak in his own initiative. Whatever he hears, he'll speak. And he'll disclose to you what is to come. 
He'll glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. What the Holy Spirit does is later, just like it said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, is the Holy Spirit came and men moved by God spoke for God. The Holy Spirit brought to remembrance of John and of Matthew, the things that he wanted recorded in scripture. He, he gave to Paul and to Peter the things he wanted recorded in scripture so we could know the things that are true. Peter himself said, hey, you think it's an amazing thing to be in the Mount of Transfiguration? I'll tell you what's even better, having the more sure word of God, not some experience. The Spirit of God is personable, fully present, and fully necessary. Who is the Spirit? He is the one apart from whom we can do nothing. This is the reason most of you are not experiencing the abundant Christian life. You need to know something. We don't teach behavior modification here. We don't give you pep talks on the weekend. I'm not here to fire you up so in your flesh you can modify your flesh for the next seven days. I'm not here even to help you be filled with the Holy Spirit. I am here to remind you why you want to continually be being filled with the Spirit. Ah, let's go to question three. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means, among other things, that um, you have the power necessary to do everything that God wants you to do, to live holy and pure lives, to bring life to dead people, um, to proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man, or that you might present every man complete with all wisdom. For this purpose, you will labor according to his power, which mightily works within you. What it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit is that you can have victory over sin. It doesn't mean you aren't um, still going to be subject to temptation, it means that you aren't a slave to sin and that you have everything you need to not sin. Now, because you and I are not like Jesus and will not perfectly yield to the Holy Spirit, we are not going to be sinless while we are here. But the more we learn of God and are reminded of the goodness of God and see the glory of God worked out in the lives of others, we will seek him more and cling to him more and we will sin less and less. It's called sanctification. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Let me just start with this. It doesn't mean you won't be tempted. Um, well, let me show you. Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness, and for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Sometimes, it's amazing to me, this is why it just... It just saddens me when I see people who, who go, I'm not going to really tell other people where I'm being sordidly tempted. Man, that's the first thing you should do. When Jesus was tempted by the devil again, if you follow down that Luke passage a little bit longer, when it gets to verse 13, it says the devil left him until an opportune time. Here's an opportune time. It's the moment where he's about to be betrayed, the moment when he's about to be stripped and beaten and mocked and nailed to a cross and humiliated and have his followers abandon him and people think he was a madman. That's when the devil shows up again and says, your father doesn't love you. You're a fool to trust him. If he was good, there'd be another way. What did Jesus do in that moment? I'll tell you what he did. He went to his brothers and said, pray for me. 
I am struggling to trust the Father. Is that a model for you? I think it is. When you're filled with the Spirit, it doesn't mean you're not tempted. It just drives me crazy when people don't act like they still have some area of their life that they're not sortily prone to wonder in. And so Jesus tells us what to do. He tells us to, to um, share our burdens with one another and say, this is kind of where my flesh defaults. I tell my guys in my community all the time, and it's high tide in this area. My flesh is pulling me in this area. What's it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It doesn't mean you're not tempted. It does mean that you make war against sin. It should concern you if you are a person who has a relationship with God, at which moment you are fully identified with God and his spirit. You're baptized in the spirit the moment that you believe, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 12. And because you're identified with the spirit, you should then walk in the spirit and you should be continually being controlled by the spirit. And when you're controlled by the spirit, you don't sin. And when you are in relationship with the spirit, you don't sin easily. Let me say it to you again. People that have, um, that in any given moment are filled with the spirit are not sinning. And people that have a relationship with God, as all true believers do, should not sin easily. It's why it really bothers me when entire churches are formed and they say something like, it's okay if you come here and you embrace this sin. Because God made you this way. And he loves you just the way you are, so it's okay if you keep doing the things that you're doing, and you say you're a holy one of God. I'm gonna tell you something. No, it's not. And God didn't make you that way. The fall made you that way. Sin makes you that way. And the Holy Spirit wants to woo you out of sin to life indeed. But it's also why we don't teach reparative therapy here. I'm not trying to repair your flesh. The Bible has no program to curb your flesh, to make your flesh less alive except death, okay? Um, when you die, God will take this body of death and will give you a new glorious body that will not be um, racked with and permeated by sin. Now listen to me. I have seen no improvement in my flesh in 30 years of knowing Christ. I'm still a lust bucket. I'm still prone to anger. I'm still controlling. Uh, I'm still petty. Todd Wagner is not a good guy. Todd Wagner, in relationship with Jesus Christ, yielded to the spirit of Christ, is God's man. But my flesh hasn't changed. My life and character has changed because I am subject now, not to the spirit, which seems right to Todd, but the spirit of Christ that is the gift of God that I've embraced and been given when I understood the kindness of God revealed to me that he would die for a wretch like me. What's it mean to be filled with the spirit? It doesn't mean that your flesh won't want to have multiple heterosexual relationships like mine does. It doesn't mean your flesh maybe doesn't want to have homosexual relationships like yours might. It does mean that you go, I am not to be polygamous. I am not to be adulterous. I'm not to be um, same-sex active because it's not holy. It's not good for me, and God loves me, and I'm going to walk in his way. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding, but in all my ways I'm going to acknowledge him. I'm going to be filled with the Spirit. Now, what's it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Here we go. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 18. It says there, don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. In other words, when you drink wine, there's a reason we call liquor stores spirit shops, because when people pop a, you know, pop a top and they start pounding it, it's like they're controlled by something else. 
And when you're controlled by alcohol, you don't become a better driver, a better husband, a better wife, a better son, a better citizen. You become a danger to yourself and to others. But don't be controlled by alcohol, but instead, watch this, be filled with the Spirit. Now, when you're filled with the Spirit, watch what happens. Three things. You speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. What's that mean? It means that the Spirit of God will transform the way that you communicate and the way you speak. It doesn't mean you'll speak in a tongue that no one can understand. It means that the tongue you have will change. And you'll speak the truth of God. And kindness will be on your tongue. And words of life will be on your tongue. Not self-advancing, destructive, biting words, but building up edifying words, life-giving words. Secondly, you'll always give thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, even to the Father. It means your attitude is transformed. It means when things aren't going the way you want them to go, you don't get bitter. You don't say, God, you don't love me. You go, God, I don't really know what you're doing, but I know that you're good. I know that you make even the cross work out for my greatest benefit, which was probably the greatest act of horror in human history. So if you can turn that for my greatest benefit, even this loss of child, this cancer, this betrayal by a spouse, I'm not gonna curse you. I know you're up to something, Lord, even if it's just glorifying yourself in the way that I continue to worship you in a midst of a world that is still racked by sin. Your heart is strengthened. Your tongue has changed, your attitude has changed, and then watch this. You're subject to one another and relationships are transformed. Your life changes relationally. That's why your marriage is different. It's why right after this, he says, hey, husbands, you're gonna be the head of your wife, just like Christ is the head of the church, and wives, you're gonna be subject to your husbands. But you're really, the truth is, gonna be subject to one another. There's still roles and distinction, just like there's roles and distinction in the Trinity. And there's mutual admiration and exaltation. And the father says, the son is greater than I. The son says, or the father says, the son will have the name above all names. And the, and, and the son says, I don't do anything except this of the father's will. The spirit says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I can't do anything apart from the spirit. It's what marriage should be. It's two who become one in mutual subjection, even though there's clear distinction in roles. And women are subject to who? A guy that does nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind considers her as more important than herself, who does nothing uh, but exalt her. He has in himself the same attitude which was in Christ Jesus. It's glorious. Changes your relationships. Now, now here's what you need to know about this, the be filled. I'm gonna put this up there. This is what this means. This is why language, God gave us his word in the context of language, so you gotta understand rules of language. When you see the word be filled, it's kind of confusing because you think you fill something that's empty. Like my car just ran out of gas, it was empty, I went to Costco and I filled it up. That's not the use of the word filled here in Ephesians 5.18. Even in English, we use the word filled two way. We have an empty glass, we fill it with water. But we also say, hey, on the way to fill your car with gas, Todd, um, when you changed lanes without using your blinker and that gentleman got angry at you and tried to run you off the road, this didn't happen, and uh, it could've, and, um, and made, interesting hand gestures at you and his face got red and he pulled out a gun, he tapped it on the window, you'd say he was filled with rage. That guy that uh, just raped some women, we'd say he was filled with lust. Now we don't think he went and drank a bottle of lust. We're just saying that there was an emotion that controlled him. What is going on here in Ephesians 5.18 is he's saying you should be continually being controlled by the spirit. That's the way the word is used. 
Here, watch, it's B, it's an imperative, it's a command. It's a plural command, which means all of you, all the time, be being controlled by. That's what it means here with filled. It's a imperative, plural. It is a passive, which means it's something that happens to you. It's not something you do. It's not behavior modification. You go, not my will, but your will be done. It is bodily mortification, to use a term from John Owen. You die to yourself. That's what Jesus said. If anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's hard to continually die to your flesh because your flesh is like, me, 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 do, 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 do. Get, get, get. But I go, I know there's a better way. It's God's way, not my way, which seems right, but leads to death. So I am going to trust the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding, but in all my ways, acknowledge him. Synonym, be filled with the spirit. See, here's the thing. You don't come to church to get filled up. All right? You don't go to get this feeling and that you're filled up. Like, okay, I'm filled up. That's bad theology. You come here that I might remind you of the kindness and the glory of God that you would be filled continually. You would want to continually be yielded to the kindness of God that wants you to walk in all the glory that he intends for you. Do you understand that? We're here. We're like, yes, yes, yes. God's way is the good way. Yes, I want to meditate on his word. Yes, I want to be obedient to him. Not so he'll love me, but because he loves me and he's good. He died for me. I want to live for him. So I'm going to continually ask myself all the time, every day in this moment, Jesus, how do you want me to love? How do you want me to respond? How do you want me to store this money? How do you want me to, to um, handle my flesh, which says do this? Well, he would tell you to wage war against your fleshly lust. Or to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against your soul. You're not... You're not just a, a, uh, defined by your desires. You're defined by your love for me and my redemption of you. Walk in the redemption. That's what it means. It's passive. It's something that happens to you. Let God and your understanding of God change your life. And then it says right there, it's not just plural and, and, and imperative and passive. It's perfect present, which means it's an action that happened in the past that should continually have effect in the present. So when it says... Be filled with the Spirit. It's really saying, you, all of you, be continually being controlled by, in the present, the past consequence of your understanding the kindness of God. Are you with me? And so people just say all the time, oh man, I just wish I had more of the Spirit. You can't get more of the Spirit. Once you come to know Christ, you have all of the Spirit. The question is, does the Spirit have all of you? And in any given moment, you're like, nope, right now my flesh has me. And right now this is Todd at work and not the spirit of God. And that is when we confess, repent, and make amends. Fourthly, what's it mean to be anointed? Now I'm just gonna tell you guys this. I am anointed of God. And um, I, 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 I don't want to say that to you without... Um, explaining it. And I'm purposely pausing because you're like, whoa. Uh, first of all, Jesus was anointed of God. Whoa, wait a minute. Is he just saying that? He's like Jesus. Well, watch this. Jesus says this in Luke chapter four, verse 14. He says, he returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit. There it is again. And he went to the synagogue as was his custom. And he asked for the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he opened the book in verse 17. And verse 18 says, he read from chapter 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed. I am here, Jesus said, to proclaim the fable year of the Lord. He shut Isaiah scroll and said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That is a messianic text. And Jesus is saying, the Messiah is here. Now I said I'm anointed. I am not telling you the Messiah is here. I am telling you the spirit of God is. Because Jesus went to a cross for me, reconciled me to God, and when he reconciled me to God, he gave me his spirit. Let me prove it to you. Watch this. Actually, in Acts chapter two, Peter is um, doing what people who are filled with the spirit do, giving glory to God and testifying about the favorable year of the Lord. And they're going, man, you guys are drunk. And Peter goes, these guys aren't drunk. This is what Joel prophesied about. On that day, this is Acts 2, 14 and following, he says, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And your male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. In John chapter 3, 3 verse 34, um, John the Baptist is talking and he says, for he whom God has sent speaks the word of God. For why? God gives the spirit without measure to him. In John chapter 17, verse 18, Jesus is talking to the father and he says to the father, as you sent me into the world, I'm going to send them into the world. And the ones the father sends in the world, he gives his spirit. When he gives you your spirit, you are what is called anointed. I'm anointed of God. Sometimes I hear men use this in a manipulative way. And they go, hey, somebody came up and blew on me. Or somebody came up and, and, and said something to me. Can I tell you a true story? 2003, 2004, we were at Lake Highlands. There were several hundred folks at Watermark, maybe trickling now up over 1,000, all right? We're at 20-something thousand plus today. There was like 1,000-something folks that were there, and a guy walked up to me, and I had just got up and just pleaded with people to walk with God and to continually yield to him, and, and that there's so much more that we can do for the glory of Christ. And I went and I sat back down, and during the closing song, a guy I'd never seen before came up to me. I've never seen him again. I don't know, he still might be at Watermark. He was an African-American guy, uh, at the time, there weren't a whole lot of um, African-Americans that were hanging out at Watermark. And, and out of nowhere, this guy shows up. And it's down front. It's kind of dark. And I just felt this hand on my shoulder while we were singing. And he just says, God wants you to know he's pleased with you. God wants you to know that he wants to pour out his power on and through you. That this is going to be a great work for him. And you should continue in this work. And his blessing will come. And I remember when he did, I kind of turned to him and went, well, thank you, thank you very much, thank you. And he kind of walked away, he didn't talk to me again, I've never seen him again, man, if, maybe you're here, I don't know, come, come, come talk to me again. But can I just tell you something? I don't really care. It might have been an angel, right? An angel that I was unaware of. But you know what? He didn't tell me anything I didn't already know. The reason that God has continued to work in this place is not because I was anointed by some angel, it's because when you know Jesus, you are baptized into his spirit and you should be continually yielded to his spirit and you should glorify him and God's pleased with people that seek to live in relationship with him. You don't need anointed ones of God. You don't need somebody to blow on you or speak prophetically over you because I've got a prophetic word made more sure that says you're already the anointed of God. Amen, Amen Freddie. And can I just say this about anointed men of God? The more anointed a man is, the less he makes you think he needs him. You don't need some anointed guy to come through your town. That's not usually in your town. You need people who have been reminded that it's good to walk with God in your presence. And you go to war with them and you love them and they encourage you and speak words of truth to you. 
Lastly, uh, how do you know if it's the work of the Spirit? And the answer is just simply this, you test it, right? John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, don't, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Uh, chapter 5, verse 20 of 1 Thessalonians, don't despise prophetic utterances, but examine them. The prophets are tested by the prophets. If you get more excited when a prophet speaks than when somebody opens their Bible and tells you what God's already said, that's a problem. I have no problem with prophets speak, just speak it. Not some general metaphor, not some horoscope that could apply to anybody. Um, 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as angels of light. Acts 17, 11, examine the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. John 16, the spirit of God will guide you into truth. That's how you know. If something is marked by Christ-exalting work that brings life to others, it's of the Spirit. How do you know the Spirit's present? Because love is active. Love is acting for another's greatest benefit without a regard for self. That's how you know the Spirit is present. How do you know the Spirit is present? Then all the glory of the Spirit is there. Love is there, joy is there, peace is there, patience is there, goodness is there, faithfulness is there. Can I just tell you something? I'll close with this. You gotta learn to pray correctly. Last week, there was a, a, a prayer, and we get these all the time. It was, it was submitted on, um, on, on Click and Pray, and, and I know what they meant, but I'm gonna teach you how to pray. Stop praying for patience. Stop praying that, um, you wouldn't, that you, your flesh would be dead in the sense that you would no longer be sordidly tempted in your flesh. Your flesh is always gonna be tempted. What you want to pray is that you would... Um, abstain from fleshly lusts. Here was the prayer request. It was submitted. Please pray that God would change my heart as if your flesh would no longer, and this is, this is not probably what they meant, but if you're praying, God, make it so I no longer want to sin in the way that I feel, in the way that my flesh or my human emotion wants to. Your human flesh and emotion is always gonna want to. What she's saying, though, is, if it's biblical, is, Lord, I desire to continually be controlled by your spirit and your way of peace. When she says, God, pray that you would heal me as I battle anxiety. If she's saying, Lord, don't let me be anxious again, that's not a good prayer. You're going to be anxious again. What you do in your anxiety determines whether it's sin or not. What you do in your compulsion to look at porn determines whether it's sin or not. A temptation to look at porn is not sin. Saying, it's so powerful, I have to be a slave to it, is blasphemous. Greater is he who is in you than your flesh and the God who's in this world. The spirit of God is how you're healthy, joyful, useful, fruitful, and peaceful. What a friend we have in the spirit. May you continually be controlled by him. Father, I thank you for this list and this truth. Would you help us now to go out of here, not with any different power if we knew you coming in than we have going out, but we now maybe know more that what I need to do is to follow you, which means deny myself this body of death. Thanks be to God that you go with us and you remind us that you're good and that all your ways are peace. And so, Lord, we want to go not 
my will, but your will be done. Not how do I want to respond to my wife now. Not how do I want to respond to my insecurity about finances now. Lord, how would you have me live in this moment? What's your word say? Let me be subject to it. May you, Lord, sustain us, enable us, empower us to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against our soul. And may our soul forever be conformed into the beauty that you intend for us so the world says, who are you people? Who is your daddy? And we can do what the Spirit always does, lift up Jesus and his saving, redemptive grace. Would you do that? Make us a Spirit-filled church. People, all of us, who are continually putting to work the Spirit of God, which we have come to know, is your work in us and through us in this world. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.